So I got an awesome panel. I know some of these individuals, so I might make up some lies about them. This is going to be some great individuals that's going to share with you some interesting insights. So I want to call out the first person, Rob Greenlee, VP of Content and Partnership. Rob, on the weekends, goes and saves rescued animals, and he uh, takes care of all of them at his house. So that's a lie that I made up, but Rob is awesome. Give it up for Rob. Also want to give it up for Mr. Danny Pena, my fellow Dominican. I'm not Dominican, but my wife is, and uh, he and my wife, they act cool all together. So big shout out to my boy, Danny Pena. Todd Cochran, want to give a big shout out to him, CEO of Blueberry and Power Press. Without them, I wouldn't have had a podcast. want to thank them so much. Appreciate that. And then Bart Rosselli, Ros 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 with the SVP of sales for Vergitone One. Please give a round of applause to him. He's one of the coolest dudes that I got a chance to meet today. And I love his title because it's all about sales. Thank you guys so much. Give it up one more time for them, guys. Everybody, uh, welcome. And uh, for those that have, have never attended one of these, this is actually going to be recorded and released as an actual podcast. It's probably one of the few sessions or few events it is. So we'll kick it off like we normally do. Welcome to the New Media Show. My name is Todd Cochran. Of course, I want to welcome my co-host, Mr. Rob Greenlee. Rob, uh, here we are. Here we are. Podcast Movement 2021. It's, uh, it's exciting. It's been a while since we've been able to get this show on live on a stage. So it's exciting, Todd. And we've got some terrific guests with us. So um, let's get it going. I guess first thing I do want to say, though, is everyone happy that we've all been able to be together for the last three or four days? Isn't it fantastic? Yeah, it's great and to be back. So uh, look forward to more of this throughout the year. But Rob, why don't you go ahead and introduce our guest? Well, we have Danny Pena here, who's a longtime podcaster. Um, you started like 2005? Yeah, one, two. Yeah, so I started uh, internet radio back in 2001 and my podcast February of 2005. So yeah, yeah right. almost 17 years with Right, and he's been, yeah. been one of the leading guys covering um, kind of gaming, um, online gaming in his podcast, Gamertag Radio. So go, go subscribe to his podcast if you're a gamer. He, he covers it from top to bottom. So All consoles, everything. Right. <laughs> and we also have Bart uh, Roselli, who's the uh, VP, a senior VP of growth at Veritone One, which is one of the largest or the largest podcast advertising agency buying, buying company in the medium. So I think we, we're, we're going to have a, a fantastic view on what's happening in the pod, podcast advertising business. We're going to talk about more than that, but that's going to be one of the main topics. So. For, for those of you unfamiliar with the format of the show, and we want you to go and follow or subscribe to the show at newmediashow.com, normally Rob and I do this show completely unscripted, and we do about 90 minutes every Wednesday starting at 3 p.m. Eastern. We, we stream live. So if you want everyone to join us, you can come over to newmediashow.com and watch the show live, but it's available, of course, as a podcast. But today, Rob actually prepared so a little have. bit. I, I kind of like to do this, get some idea what we want to talk about. But, but to kind of lead off what Todd said, we've been doing this show for uh, probably about 10 years. I think we're over like, uh, we're getting close to 500 episodes that we've done of this show uh, live. We went for a few months doing the show twice a week, but then we kind of backed off on that a little bit. It was a little bit too much. Um, but, uh, but Todd, did you want to start off with the, the first yeah, I think, you, you know, as the podcast space has expanded and new entrants in the space, 
we really need to talk about RSS a little bit. You know, RSS is really the mechanism and how we all are able to podcast in an open ecosystem. So really the first topic we want to talk about is where we are with open RSS distribution, streaming versus download, which that is for some of you, you'd be like, what's the difference? And in this day and age, maybe there is no difference. And impression versus download, or maybe impression versus play versus download. So let's get into that topic. Yeah. So I think that one of the things to, to really think about about open RSS and, and the reason that we're even talking about this is that, you know, they, the podcasting medium is evolving. It's, it's changing. People are thinking about new, different ways that the content can get to listeners. And I think what we need to think about is whether or not we prioritize as an industry the open nature of RSS, because there's certainly other technologies that can be used to deliver the content or um, get the content. It can be uploaded directly to, to listening platforms versus using RSS. And we're not trying to promote that as a development of the industry, but, but there are folks that are saying, well, maybe that's a better way of doing it, because we're starting to see uh, like Apple deciding to create a premium podcast solution, upload your content directly to them. So you can kind of see a little bit of a, a concern that we might have about the open nature of podcasting. And so, I, Danny, I know, did you want to jump in on this and give us your thoughts yeah, on... The, the question I do have for, for Todd and for you is, what, what is the concern from having something like that new for podcasting? Because to me, I feel like... It's good that we make changes and it's going to make better um, features for, for podcasts. I don't see this as like it's going to hurt our content. It's, I think it's going to help because if I want to release exclusive content for my community, that's a, a cool way for them to get extra content, not just the RSS feed. So my question to you guys is what is the bad from that? From... Moving away from RSS? Moving away. Yeah, not moving away, but like just uh, pay subscription or, or um, what Apple is oh. doing, like stuff oh, like I that. Oh, I think it's, it's been part of podcasting since the very early days. Yes. So I think it's not a talking about making one go away or, or not including the other or somehow mm -hmm. replacing what we want. And I think what built this industry is the open nature of RSS. Yeah basically making it a level playing field for anyone to get in and create podcast content. Mm -hmm. And not, you know, I think that the uploading directly to platforms plays into a, a little bit of a walled garden type of scenario. I see what you're saying. And I think if yeah. you're a premium content creator, I, I think that's a little bit different dynamic, right? right? I mean, you are going to put your content behind a, a paywall. Mm -hmm. And so, so I think it's not a either or, we're just concerned that people start thinking that the open nature and the level playing field of RSS, we will somehow um, lose that in the medium. I know, Bart, do you, do you have a thought on this? I mean, from uh, targeting shows that we want to get, because we're trying to connect the right brands with the right content and engagement, right. we need that RSS, we need that open nature forum, otherwise, yeah. how can you look at up and coming new shows and support these people? Now, that's not to dissuade premium subscription-based content. And there's usually a brand or network of something that's behind it, so they have an appeal that could warrant and drive that additional subscription. But from a discovery perspective, which is a, you know, a big hurdle that we're all still figuring out when there's millions of shows out there, like how do I 
find the right content that's right for my brand. So I think we need to keep that open nature form so that we give everyone the opportunity. Otherwise, how can you do it if you don't have a truly established audience and be able to connect them with brands? I mean, look at, there's so many shows I'm sure we could list off here that would never have gotten that opportunity if they went to a premium subscription base and they said, do you have an audience? Yes, no, or it's really low. That's where the power of this has really come from. I have a little bit of a unique perspective too, because recently during the podcast awards nomination process that uh, closed about a week ago, we had PR companies asking to have uh, shows that were exclusive on platforms that don't have RSS feeds um, asked to enter in the podcast awards. And I said, well, part of the requirements to be on the podcast awards, you got to have an RSS feed and the PR companies didn't understand it because they call, they think of podcasts differently today. You know, so technically, if you think about Joe Rogan, he's now exclusively on Spotify. You can't get access to his content anymore via RSS feed, even though his RSS feed is alive but empty yeah, from yeah. his old location. So is Joe Rogan really a podcast anymore? We don't need to discuss that in detail, but I think what we have to remember is, is that some companies are now making RSS optional. And that to me is a little eye-opening and the company that did it, I kind of clapping that they did, but that's a whole personal situation. But I, I think that we have to go back to the beginning when this medium started in 2004, 2005. Most people don't know there was no Instagram, there's no Twitter, there was none of these platforms. All there was was walled gardens. And if you wanted your content somewhere, you had to sign a contract and you know, only the favored few got into those, those distribution points. So podcasting really opened it up to make it available to you know, anyone can do this. And what it has allowed is a lot of voices that would not have had a voice otherwise to be able to you know, have, a, have a place at the party. Yeah, I agree. And then that kind of folds into another part of this too, is the streaming versus download question. And and some in the industry will tell you that um, this isn't a big issue. And I would tend to agree in the bigger picture, but it is somewhat confusing to some because some think when you just pull up your app and it has a play button there and you push a button, it must be streaming to you. Um, and I think that there's a perception that um, that it is streaming. And some, in, and this is really more of an industry discussion, but it's the expectation around metrics around that. And there's a lot of loaded things that come with the term streaming versus downloading. It can look like it's streaming, even though it's downloading. And that's, it's a minor distinction. Most listeners don't really care. What they're clicking on is getting the content. But from an industry perspective, there is a big difference in how, it's, um, how the metrics are tracked, how the, the downloads are counted. I know, Todd, did you want to expand on that a little bit? You know, I think that ship has kind of sailed. I don't care about the terminology anymore. I know on the back end that if we're doing a podcast advertising deal, some will report it as impressions, some folks will uh, report it as plays, some will report it as downloads, but ultimately it's really the IAB spec that's being followed and it's a download. Whatever you want to call it, it's a lot of marketing speak and however you want to portray it to media buyers. But in the end, a download is a download and a stream, which you would maybe do on Spotify, is kind of a stream. But your podcasts are actually being progressively downloaded on Spotify too for those on pass-through. So 
it's kind of weird. And for the listeners, they don't care, nor they should. But from a measurement standpoint, it gets a little tricky when you talk to a media buyer today and they talk to someone tomorrow and we're using different words. You know, as a, as a content creator, what's important to me, not a, it's not a, about the Donalds anymore. It's more of the engagement. Because you can have 100,000 downloads or streamed listens, right? Mm-hmm. But are people actually taking action on whatever is it right. that you're promoting? It could be uh, following you on, on social media. It could be promoting a product. I've done this for a very long time. And, and to us, what is success for us is, is how many people are actually taking action on the stuff that we talked about on the show. Yeah. You know, So, like, our community is our street team. They're the ones promoting my, um, our content. They're the ones sharing it, uh, not only through social media, but also submitting it to, like, news outlets. Mm-hmm. So they're the reason our content been getting spotlighted in, in, through major media because of them, you know? So that is more, is more important to me. Bart, do you have any thoughts on this? Yeah, I mean, um, I think it's really important what Danny's kind of bringing up from that that perspective. And I think from a purchasing perspective is we've wanted to try to standardize something and give creators a fair shot because you would say, oh, I have a one-hour look-back window, I have a two-hour look-back window, or you have the IAB 24 hours. You're kind of comparing apples, oranges, and grapefruits when you go out and look at a show. So unless you have the database that we frankly have to kind of go through and go, what is it? Because to Danny's point, you could say I have 100,000 listen streams, downloads. I can tell pretty quickly what that engagement score is pretty fast. And even though it's not going to be an immediate reaction if it's done embedded-wise, you can see the response coming in from that engagement. And yeah. we, will, we don't care about necessarily the big numbers. We care about the engagement. And right. we will pay a higher premium for that engagement being okay. in an omni-channel uh, perspective. So I have a story to tell that this happened last year uh, during the pandemic. Uh, Microsoft sent me a console, a new console was coming out. It was uh, they sent it to us October. The console was coming out in November. So only content creators and the media got it from them. Very small group of people. So I decided to do something different and show that we have a, a community that is very engaged with, with, uh, with us, the show. So in New York City, I decided to get a venue got uh, my, uh, my friends, they have a production company, and I surprised one of my listeners to come to the venue, Love and I told them, oh, yeah, we're going to have a meetup, but it was all a surprise. He's a healthcare worker in, in New York City. So I surprised him, and I told him that he was going to be the first consumer in the world to get hands-on playing the, the product. We recorded it. He got really emotional and everything too. Mm-hmm. At the end, we gave him like some, some gifts from the companies. And I put the video out. I wasn't thinking about uh, going viral or nothing. And it was all over the web. All over the web. That to me is engagement. The, the community was the ones that actually was spreading the word about it. You know, so you could have so many downloads, but if there's no engagement to me, that's like a, not a success. Yeah. I can almost even compare it to mm-hmm. social following where you can say, I have 3.2 million followers, but you yeah. post twice a month and you have three likes. That means absolutely nothing. Yeah. It means absolutely nothing. And mm-hmm. that's where the power of that. So when you told me that story, Danny, I was like, well, we're going to start shipping some product to you just to have yeah. some fun with it. <laughs> yeah. And look, I didn't get paid. I didn't get paid at all. I did this more to give back my community. Mm-hmm. I always do that since the beginning. 
Um, but at the same time, um, we forget about that. We're thinking so much of just like the business side, how they get money. We got to give back to our listeners. Oh, look, if you have an opportunity to um, get an email from a listener or somebody replies to you on social media, try your best to, to engage with them. 100%. I think we're, mi we're missing that part from our, from our industry. You know, so. you know I, I look back at some deals I've done in the past where a, a media buyer got really hyper-focused on a specific show. And I knew it wasn't going to be a good fit. And I told the media buyer, listen, uh, you got to sign a piece of paper because I've advised you this is not going to perform well. You're going to pay no matter what. I'm not going to give any make goods. The vendor signed a document, went ahead with the campaign, and they had zero conversions. And sometimes the media buyers get so focused on the personality, they really don't realize that they could have probably spread that across 20 or 30 shows that had highly engaged audiences and move the button or move the, the meter on that buy. And uh, so I think the engagement is huge. And oftentimes we see small shows, because they have tight relationships with their audiences, become super engaged. And sometimes as the shows get bigger, that engagement lowers a little bit. Danny's classic example, he's built a huge, huge following and he's got a huge, your community is amazing. Yeah, and the crazy part too, my co-host last year, he said, I hope one day I could host an event at E3. E3 is like the biggest video game conference in our industry. The community was saying, yes, I hope that happens. And guess what? Microsoft contacted him and they wanted him to host their press conference last June. And millions and millions of people watched it. And it was because our community was pushing it all over social media and it made it happen. They gave him an opportunity. So. This is a great uh, segue into kind of a, another aspect of things that are changing in the industry, and that's the concepts of um, the, the, especially around advertising, around getting audience impressions. And what I'm hearing more now is um, basically thinking about podcasting as audiences. So as we kind of evolve from this this conversation that we had about having an impact and, and podcasting having an influence and, and those kind of things are all derivatives of being able to reach an audience. Now, as you think about advertising and you think about um, your podcasting, um, I think we are trying to achieve audience, right? And trying to cater to a particular audience and, and to have the, the terminology is also being blended with the term impressions. Uh, Bart, what's your thought on this? I mean, are we moving in a direction where downloads is going to be taken out of the vernacular and we're going to start talking more about audiences and I mean, impressions? In the end, as long as we understand what the classification is, I think the right now we're just kind of cross-pathing when we're talking. In the end, it's as long as we can calculate what we're actually doing, I don't really care what the terminology is. Let's figure out what that is together because it's all about... What is that audience? What is the engagement? And getting more in-depth research. So when you get to shows of, of Danny's size, like it's great to find out what's your household income. You target families, things of nature. That's what marketers such as ourselves are really looking for. So we can not just like run an ad, but pick the right brands that would make the most sense. It would re like accelerate that engagement within that community. And then we're doing right by supporting them. So we're investing in supporting the growth and content of the show. 
So to kind of uh, fall off of that a little bit uh, around exclusive content. So you know, we, we had mentioned Joe Rogan um, going from an open RSS distribution to going behind, really to some degree, a paywall with Spotify. Um, Bart, as you think about like a Joe Rogan show going exclusive, does that change the dynamic of how you think about advertising around a podcast? It absolutely does. Um, it also depends when you go behind a paywall, just logic says there's going to be a percentage drop off because not everyone, it's not an open forum like we've been talking about. So what is that? And then usually with that premium content living on that premium supplier, there's going to come additional premiums. And then it, we have to reverse engineer the math to say, how does it work? That's not diluting the value of the show in any shape and form. It's just, it starts to become an enhanced business model that you have to apply different tactics. And sometimes you can align, sometimes you can't. And we have a fiduciary responsibility to the clients to say, is this the right time? Does it make sense? And then also, what are the client's goals? Because very different if you're thinking top of the funnel versus I just need to generate a 2.0 or $100 cost per acquisition. So it really does get customized. But when you get to that level, you have to think about risk reward factor and what truly is the short and long-term goal for that client. You know, I, I just look at uh, this in a bigger ecosystem. You know, those that can go exclusive and get those deals, sign them, cash those checks and have a bottle of champagne. You know, I think that's important when you, when you get to that size and can do that. But with the evolution of premium, and you know, honestly, many haven't talked about premium this much since the beginning of podcasting, and, but people have been doing premium for years on a variety of platforms. I get concerned, though, on the premium side when a podcaster goes premium too soon because it's a commitment. So let's say you're going to go do a premium show and I have a classic example of this. Someone went through the motions to set up premium content and he had two folks actually sign up for the premium, but yet he was committed to do a series. So I think you have to really think real hard about when it's time to go premium. And really what it is, Danny, it's when you get that engagement. When you have an engaged audience mm -hmm. and say, we're going premium, we're going to offer yeah. this, right. you kind of know what the reaction is going to be. Yeah, because... See, that's the mistake with a lot, a lot of the new podcasters now. They're focusing so much on the money, money, but you need to build your tribe. You need to build your community. Once you have your community and they're really engaged, then you could start thinking about the business. For me, when I started, I had no listeners, nothing. I went to the stores looking for my community and I was passing out flyers, trying to look for them. I will go to, to like a, a store at midnight where a game is coming out and I'm just there talking to them, engaging with them. I'm recording interviews with them because I knew they were going to spread the word to their family and friends like, oh, somebody recorded me. I'm on this website, you know? So I did that for years. Then I started doing meetups with people. Every time I'll travel, I'll get together with my listeners in different cities here in the States. And the business just slowly popped up. Yeah, little by little. But I think building your tribe is like the most, yeah. the number one thing you need to do. And you have to have great content yep. so they could stay there too. So couldn't agree with that anymore. Um, <laughs> I was going to say preach in the middle of it, but I was like, no, run, run, <laughs> run with that. <laughs> um, if you're getting into it, do it for the content, for the passion of what you're doing, to create a community. If you're doing it for the money, you're doing a disservice to all the other content people that are out there working their butts off to create a good show, like start to integrate research or things and 
kind of build this more complex, great content community. Because if you're going into it with the money, what's usually going to be the sacrifice is the quality of the content and then the engagement. And then we can't validate an investment with brands for that show. And not only that, are you having fun creating the content? Yeah. I see. Because you, you could easily send bad energy to your listeners and they're like, yeah, this is going to be the last time we listen to your show. Yeah. I see podcasters now chasing genres. I get the call all the time. What's the most underrepresented yeah. genre? What's the and, I, and I'm kind of like, what's your passion yeah. versus chasing a genre? Because listeners can smell a fake. Yeah, they can smell seconds. it a mile away. So if you're trying, if you have no authority and you have no passion, mm -hmm. it, that, that's going to be a losing and proposition. One thing I have to say, <laughs> there's been companies that try to advertise on their show that my, my co-host and I, we just feel uncomfortable promoting that to my community. And I don't care how much money they try to give us, I'll be like, nope, I'll decline. That, that is a great example because when we are vetting, I actually get excited when someone says, no, I'm not as enthusiastic about that brand. Yeah. Don't just say yes. Like yeah. it is a truly is a partnership and you can tell instantaneously. Mm -hmm. We're fortunate we have an AIware platform that can allow us to read it and listen to it in real time, mm -hmm. we can tell very quickly. And then usually there's a pretty darn strong correlation between that and the performance and then, of course, the investment. So I totally agree. Actually, there was one, uh, uh, there was a company that they wanted to promote EatSig on our show. We have a very young audience. And I, I just replied, like, not interested mm -hmm. at all. Mm -hmm. you, know, so. you know, I think all of us have heard an ad on a podcast that we got excited about and acted on. So if you can remember that moment when you said, I'm going to go and support the show by supporting that sponsor, you need to take that to heart and use that in your content creation when you have the opportunity to have a sponsor. Uh, you know, I often hear podcasters are just, they're chasing the money, but the reason I've had the same sponsor my show for 15 years is because I truly endorse the product, I use the product, I know the product, I support the product. Um, it wouldn't have lasted that long otherwise. Yeah, certainly the the early days of the podcasting meeting, the the hosts would have a direct contact with the advertiser, and the advertiser would send them sample products, right? And and so the host would actually have an authentic experience with the the advertiser's products. Um, Bart, is that stuff happening as much as it used to? A hundred percent. If we really truly love and have a great relationship with a podcaster and their content, we'll get them product in their hands and we'll tell the client. It's worth the investment to do this. And if they're not as excited, okay. But the value you're going to create from that. So it's not even just that. It's also getting on the, uh, the phone with the producer or the talent when you guys have time to say, what are we trying to get out of this relationship? What do you guys want us to talk about? What do you not want us to talk about? If you understand that, by the time you get to the first sponsorship read you're going to do, the quality and the impact is great. You can tell the authenticity from the talent. It resonates with the audience. And then to your point, Danny, like you're, your audience goes, okay, he's, he stands for certain things. He's not going to, you know, engage with that stuff. And they go, I like this guy. I'm going to keep following. I care about what he's doing. And I want to engage not just with just his podcast or YouTube, et cetera, across the social platforms. And then that's really where that sphere of influence becomes magic. And the beauty is, as podcasters, most of us are the GM sales and talent. So you're not being forced to take something. You're taking something because you want to. And Bart, I'm sure you've had conversations with podcasters after something's come across your desk that just wasn't good. Those conversations are not 
are not fun. When the, when the media buyer calls you and says, hey, you know, that's, that's not a fun conversation and you don't want to be in that position because you end up on some list and that's not a good list to be on. Yeah, yeah we, we get products all the time from, from um, advertisers. But if there's a product that it's not for me, I'll give it to one of my co-hosts that makes sense. So, like, for example, I had one that was like a workout product. I don't work out. I'm going to keep it real. But my co-host, he works out all the time. So he was like the perfect fit for that, to, to, to try the product, to talk about it. And the listeners were like, hey, it's, it's, it's real. It's like it's not, it doesn't sound fake. You know? So he, he experienced it. He likes it. I'm going to try it out too. No. I mean, over the last few years, we've seen a move towards dynamic ad insertion and and then this, the concept of programmatic ad buying, which is really kind of almost like an auction-based uh, buying process for advertisers to come in and, and run campaigns against podcasts. And, and Bart, I wanted to ask you about this. I mean, so as you think of that evolution of moving towards dynamic ad insertion versus the more traditional host read or what's called baked-in um, advertisements or host endorsements, do you see a shift in the industry happening uh, from dynamic uh, or moving away from um, host reads into dynamic? And then how, does, how do you see dynamic playing into the programmatic area? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, baked in ad reads are not going anywhere. That's what built the industry. Dynamic ad insertion allows different types of brands to qualitatively target. What we have to be careful of and we need to be mindful as we're creating this content together is to make sure that the quality of the ads being stitched in is done correctly because you can make it sound really bad. Um, And then also understanding different types of brands have seasonal promotions and things of that nature and they don't want that offer sitting out there in perpetuity. So there's a lot of great ways to do it. I think they're both going to be complementary. Of course, there's a shift to doing it and there's also a shift to monetize every single impression, but you have to make sure that the hosts are still hopefully doing the ads, or if the producer's reading, is it stitched incorrectly? And then there's a price inflection difference. There's a reason why we're paying a, a big premium for people like Danny to do host read ad reads that live out there is because the performance drags and it continues and it's really impactful. If it's dynamic, you're truncating it. Doesn't mean it's bad, it just means it's a separate evaluation and then you have to do employ different marketing strategies. Right. So can a dynamic inserted ad, which is typically a pre-recorded ad, um, be as good ever than a host endorsed read? Can it be? I think it depends on what determines what's good. Uh, is it a key? I mean, I mean effective might, might yeah. be the better yeah, term. Yeah, I think it, it all comes down to math on what the price is. If they do it, look, when people do it really well, it's, it's very obvious. It's very obvious where it is making sure we also don't want to oversaturate the number of ads that are in embedded type programs because that's where a premium is. You start adding more ads, there's a potential for the effectiveness of that campaign to soften. So it's figuring out when does it make the most sense. I mean, think about it. You have holiday shopping season and things coming up and we're kind of opening back up. There's a lot of things where you say, hey, I want to do Black Friday, Cyber Monday push, but you need it to fall on a certain day. Well, that's where a baked in ad may not be as impactful because you're like, okay, well, I'm going to get 70% of the the downloads happening. Maybe the listens don't actually happen at that time. And then you miss the mark. So there's a lot of benefits. They're going to be complimentary, but it would be foolish to think that embedded ads are going to go away because that's what helped build what we've all done together. 
The, the biggest fear that I get from podcasters when I talk to them about programmatic is they're afraid that they're going to get an inappropriate ad or they're going to get something that is going to be shoved in front of their audience that they don't like. And I know most of the folks, including you guys, y'all have filters to be able to turn off stuff you don't want. But is programmatic a race to the bottom? The true programmatic where the host isn't endorsing, it's an ad from company X that's already pre-produced? Well, Todd, from what I'm hearing... Um the CPM rates for programmatic have been going up because Ever. there's more brands buying into it, and that creates an auction environment, which is driving up CPMs. So mm -hmm. I, from what I'm hearing, it's getting close to host read CPMs. I don't, is, is that your experience, Bart? Uh, I mean, there's, it varies wildly. Um, so it really depends on the show, what depends on the ability of what they can target. Um, those qualitative filters are different. Same way when you're looking at buys through traditional streaming platforms, there's additional layers. So again, it comes down to the research and it comes down to the execution of what they're doing. What is that ecosystem that they're able to programmatically target? The one thing I we all want to employ is that it's still a person-to-person -person connection. We're not, if you think this is going to become click, 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 have a nice day and you just can turn this around, gravely mistaken. It's still a people base, it's a relationship. It takes the connection with the hosting platforms, the talent, and understanding what makes sense for the right brand. So that is gonna be, of course, complimentary, and what that percentage will be will probably continue to increase over time, but then you're gonna give elemental access to brands, but also the direct response advertisers that really, truly need that return on ad spend. You know, for years and years and years, we were just almost like praying that the brands would come. For years, it was DR, you know, literally 10, 12, 14 years. It was just DR. And those of you who know what DR is, direct response is basically where you promote a product that they buy through a coupon code or a landing site. A brand would be a Ford or somebody like that. Now that the brands are here, starting to come here, what do you see as a split? Where are we percentage-wise between brand and DR? Yeah, I mean, it's definitely changed over the last few years. Um, where DR was 100% or so, like three, four years ago, I would say it's probably in that 70, 30 range. And as you get more premium content getting acquired, brands are going to appeal to that. There's like a big following socially or even from an ego perspective. I want to be aligned with that right. content. I don't, you know, can do it. But then you have the targeting elements and that's what brands really love as well. So it goes back to the the measurement and some elements of standard standardization. So I think it's going to continue to move in that direction. And then some brands might interact with the dynamic ad insertion more consistently or with that higher premium content that may just not align with every single direct response advertiser. I guess it brings up then really with the brands joining, do they even care about the download or do they... With the IEB spec, or are they just looking at lift studies? What are they? What are the brands actually measuring success by? I mean, that's a sorry, that's a great question, um, and it really depends on what they're looking at. I mean, how one brand looks at the success of a campaign. Some may not care as much about the CPM. Uh, what are their goals for it? It might be I just need an evergreen strategy to keep promoting it, or I need a pulse strategy from doing it. Um, both can be effective, you know, in any way. Like it's so, it's not going to change. I think the advent and increase in technology is only going to get brands more comfortable. And initially, when it was first happening, we were like, uh oh, like we want brands coming in and kind of disrupting this. But now we have multiple ways to hit these types of content advertisers and things of that nature. And I think that's where it becomes really powerful. 
Yeah, for for us, um, we like to think outside of the box. So we'll have like actual events pre-pandemic, of course, um, where companies will sponsor our events because they knew that a lot of our community was going to be there, uh, attending the event from all over the United States that will go to Miami. And uh, we like when I started my first party, I only had like 50 people, right? I got support from a couple of gaming companies. Then the second event, we had a bigger venue, 500 people. The third one, we had now 800 people. The last one, we did it during Super Bowl weekend in Miami. We had over a thousand people that attended, and it was named the number one Super Bowl party in South Florida. Independent, we didn't put no advertisement, nothing. It was strictly word of mouth, podcasts, and that's it. And, and it went around. But see, that engagement and that, that buzz that were created locally in Miami helped us even get more, more sponsors instead of just thinking of the traditional, okay, live read. And it's good to think, think outside of the box, you know? So. You, know, you know, Danny, you're doing things that I, I call the grind. You're grinding. You're, you're working hard. You're out there finding new ways and to promote and to build your community. But I think there's about 97% of the podcasters out there that haven't earned a dime from advertising. It's still pretty high level on who it, maybe it's 5%, maybe I'm being too. So there's probably 50% that don't care to make any money, but we've got this huge percentage of podcasters that really want to make some income. You know, what's your suggestions to them? <laughs> um, network. And try to increase your distribution outside of even just podcasts as its core competency. We have the element of YouTube. Like you can repurpose your stuff with video. Video is becoming more powerful. There's other transactional tracking attribution based elements and social. And then from a networking, it means like go on other shows that your friends would recommend cross promote. So there is going to be a time where it becomes more of a investment where we can say, okay, there's a big enough show. What we don't want to do is invest too early and go, okay, that maybe that show is not ready and then have it disappear because there's just hundreds of thousands of shows yeah. is picking it at the right time. But we get really excited about the shows that are in that like 7,500 to 100,000 range because you're like, there's still so much growth inflection here. This is really exciting. And we'll watch and monitor it on a monthly, quarterly basis and see that growth. And you go, we need to get in. Like, this is the right partner, the right content at the right time to do it. Because mm -hmm. you know they're hungry. You can tell, like, they're pushing it. And recommendation would be is to look at other channels as part oh, of it okay. and oh. use that as a way. Because you never know. Like, there'll be shows that have maybe 70% YouTube, you know, from right. a viewership perspective versus 30%. That's not negative. We don't care. We want to go where the listenership and the engagement is. So don't close yourself off to be too myopic on just being in one specific. And when the time is right, you're going to know because you're going to start getting approached mm -hmm. and start coming to these conferences, networking with people such as yourself and saying, okay, how do I get representation? And how do I get to the point where someone takes the logistical sales execution? And I just literally just focus on content. Yeah, And that's when it gets really, really exciting. And the most important thing, be yourself, be original, stop copying other successful podcasts because then you, usually people will copy someone that's really popular. You gotta be unique to you. Yeah, but yeah. they do that and they see that there's no results, there's nothing right. happening for them, right? And that's when they give up. You know, I, it's, it's good to just grind and, and not give up, but the most important is be yourself, be you. You know, the, 
the space has changed so much. You know, I look back when I got my first sponsor and I lost half my audience because I sold out, you know, because I took money. And today, you know, that's unimaginable from a podcast standpoint. Just the space has changed so much. But you said something that really was a big takeaway for me. It's that when you're on that incline of growth, that's, that's like the sweet spot for you folks. It's, and the advertisers notice it. And you can see it. There'll be podcast ads that started out at $1,000 in January and end up at 20000 by the end of the year. From an advertiser, you're like, I'm grandfathered into that because we've invested in it and done it. And then there's a commitment from the content like, hey, you were there for me in the beginning. Now I'm going to take care of you as well as a long-term advertiser. And that's where it's so exciting. Yeah, and what's really exciting about what you were just saying, Bart, is, is that you're, as a, as a buyer of advertising on these, on these um, podcasts, you're looking beyond just what they're doing in the podcast area. So you're even an example of expanding the definition of what a podcast is, mm-hmm. right? To start thinking about podcasts that are available on YouTube and stuff. And I know a lot of the data, Tom Webster from Edison has been saying this too, is that we need to open our minds to think of podcasts that are consumed on other platforms too, not just the podcast listening platforms. Um, video and, and short form content and things like that, I mean, are, are coming more and more. I'm hearing more about that stuff too, with snippets from shows. And that's going to present some advertising challenges too as we move into that phase. Um, but, but so how do you evaluate a show that's, that's like video and, and live and all these different, uh, ways that they're getting the content out there, but still carries your ad message? So we'll look at, um, several things. We'll look at the research trends that they usually typically will provide. Um, we'll look at what types of integrations they've done in the past. Like, how are they doing? Is there anything we could advise to coach or help support so that when we go to do it, it's no longer really a test. Now, we're fortunate to have tons of data, millions and millions and millions of dollars of data to go through to have some confidence, but you just need to understand what's the ecosystem you're investing in. Am I looking at this from just podcasts? podcast YouTube, podcast YouTube social. And the more opportunities we have there, you never know. Like you might get more of the listeners engaging on the podcast side, maybe on the YouTube side, maybe on the social side. In the end, the brands just care about the engagement with their products and the response. Reaching audience, right? It's an ecosystem of influence. That's what we're trying to go after. I mean, Todd, uh, you've been a multi-medium content creator for 17, 18 years or so. So, I mean, it's worked for you for your Geek News Central podcast. Right? Yeah, you know, in, in this show, we do both video and we do audio. Um, most of the people that actually listen to this show as a podcast listen for audio. Those that watch us live, watch us live, and that's a micronism, you know, very small number. But for my tech show, it's like 70-30. 70% listen, 30% watch. Why they watch, I really still don't understand. <laughs> but they do... Um, so I think the video component's good. I really started the video component of my show for a selfish reason. I was lonely. I was recording at 8 o'clock at night in Hawaii as a solo podcaster, and it sucked. There was no one to talk to. So just having a few people in the chat room to say, hey, nay, or stupid, or whatever, really added a cool element. But um, I, I don't think that the live, for me, did very much for the advertising dollars. It was really that listening audience that was... I'm telling them, hey, we're a little behind this month on conversions. I, you know, go sign up for the product. And that really did it. You tell them what to do and they did it. Thank God. Well, it's the engagement, like what 
what uh, Danny was talking about. The, the live piece brings the engagement for your passionate fans, right? And that steamrollers into like what Tom Webster was saying in, uh, at the beginning of this whole conference was word of mouth is what drives audiences, right? Where does, mouth, where does word of mouth come from? It comes from terrific content and uh, reaching an audience in a way that gets them excited about sharing your content. I don't know. Danny, do you want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah, I'm trying to think of uh, any cool stories from back then uh, of, en of engagement like this. So, so um, I've been trying to get someone uh, that used to work at, at Nintendo. He used to be the, the president for Nintendo of America. I tried to get him on for like, oh my God, over a decade. <laughs> and uh, he retired. And again, I posted on Twitter, like, I wish I could interview him. And my community was so passionate, so passionate that at the end he decided, you know what, I'm going to go on to the show. Yeah. yeah. And it was because he got to see the engagement of my community. Mm -hmm. you know, or, so, was it, or was it shaming? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you better come on. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, he, he, we sat down. He had a great time. And, and uh, he wants to do this again, you know. So, yeah. And our content was all over the place because of my community, you know. Yeah. So the, your community will break it or, or make it. Yeah. So. So, I mean, even to kind of draft off that a little bit too is you have to imagine, they say there's millions of shows. I think we can all agree there's like three to 5% of that's maybe monetizable at the moment. Right. Um, what are we trying to accomplish? So when we look at shows, like how do you know I want to engage with this show versus tens of thousands of other ones? Right. You need to help answer that why for us so mm -hmm. we can go and say, okay. So when I say answer the why through the engagement, What's the community creating? Are you just talking at them or are you talking with them? Right. Yeah. See, they, everybody tells me they feel like they're part of our conversation. That's, the, there you go. And yep. they might, look, my calls, we don't agree with a lot of things. So if my calls say something they agree and I disagree, that's real. the person that's listening, no, I agree with so-and-so. You know what? I'm going to call. I'm going to say something because I don't like what Danny said, you know, yeah. so. Yeah. I like that. But I'm, we're having fun with it, too. You know, so. You can tell. It's authentic. Yeah, of course. People can tell. People have listened to this yeah. enough. And that's where it becomes influence. Yes. Versus just ads. Yeah. I mean, we inspire people to buy a game without showing visual. They just, Unbelievable. They yeah. just hear our excitement, and they'll go to the store and buy it. And buy the it, product. But engagement can come different ways. This show has no advertising, never has. We've gotten some donations from time to time. But what really we know when we've hit a nerve is when we get a private email that says, hey, don't talk about this on the show, but I listened and wow. And it comes from some big names in space. You know, we have people that work at all the major big distribution points that, that listen. So... Just because you may not be advertising something, you might be influencing a change in whatever genre you have and could affect it. And then ultimately, that'll come back around and help you a lot because you're going to be asked to speak or you're going to be asked to be on a council or, or asked to be on a, a radio program. You never know when the opportunity is going to knock, which is going to open other doors. So it's all about really engaging and trying to keep that community informed. And, you know, hopefully you, you, you knock a door open here and there. So I want to talk about one, one piece that we've kind of touched on a little bit, but is the programmatic advertising. Um, you know, Todd, in the early days of his, his network, he, he was selling advertising to large groups of shows. He was selling like 200 shows on, a, on an ad buy. 
Um, but what we've seen over the last few years is a pullback on that to some degree um, into buying smaller numbers of shows um, on a particular ad buy. Um, but with the advent of or invent of programmatic ad buying, that has opened the door to being able to buy across hundreds of shows um, instantaneously. And, and Bart, I, I wanted to ask you, what's your thoughts on that going forward? Do you think that that is going to maintain the integrity of the podcasting medium? Uh, do you think it's a, it's a good direction for the medium to head down? Uh, I, I know Todd and I would love to see thousands more shows be able to be monetized with advertising. But, you know, we're trying to find a balance here. What's your thoughts on programmatic? Yeah, I mean, I think there's an absolute need for it, and there's, it's going to continue to grow. You're buying an audience. Now it's not maybe specific to one show. The only thing we have to do is really our job is to manage expectations of what types of shows you're going into um, from a brand safety brand perspective. Safe perspective. And I think yeah. that's the right. biggest thing in the last 12 to 18 months. That has become so subjective <laughs> that you have to reclassify it every single time. So again, goes back to what are the client's goals, what they're trying to do. There's absolutely a need for it. What was like the first thing tens of years ago that we looked for is like, I need more data. I need to know research. Like, who am I targeting? If you can programmatically target, there's definitely value in obviously what you're trying to do there. You just have to understand like, okay, the significant pros are here. What is the potential drawback, if you want to call it, or what limitations come with that? But then you can also do the inverse of that when you're talking about host rate ads as well. So what are, what are some absolute, talk about brand safety. You know, we used to rejoice in the early years when someone had an explicit show and they got a sponsor and it was like, it was a breakthrough thing that this explicit show had a sponsor that would have never in our wildest dreams advertised with them. So now with brand safety being so prevalent, what, what are, what are media companies saying no, say no, absolute no's to? What is, what are, what are some of those topics? And I think some of it's time relevant. Um, so politics. Some say, I don't care if you deliver a 10 to 1. I don't want to be left, right, center, down the middle, backyard. Like, just keep me away from it. Right. Not going to have, that's great. Great thing about the channel is there's thousands, there's tons of different genres to go after. Also is, it becomes very subjective is clients get immediate feedback with their customer success team that say, you were on this, that means you support that. And that's where they get reactions. So they're more sensitive to that because they also are building a community of customers on their side. So mm -hmm. there is a direct correlation there. So it does vary. Politics has probably been the most polarizing. I think it's going to dissipate over time as we get back to levels of normality here. Um, but I think that those are some of the things where brands are looking at. Or used to be back in the day is like, are you good with Howard Stern or are you not good with Howard Stern? That used to be like the barometer, like what's the touch point? And the great thing is this ecosystem's unstructured too in terms of content, like there's not limitations like you might have, but we are quickly progressing towards podcast being a traditional channel. Oh, okay, yeah. So I wanted to also put it out that if you have a question, feel free to raise your hand and we'd love to hear your thoughts. I mean, we'll keep talking about some topics, but if you have a question, we'd love to hear from you and we'll just restate it up here because I don't know that we have a microphone floating around, but, but feel free to raise your hand and I'll point you out and we can, we can answer your question. But, um, but yeah, let's, let's talk, let's change course a little bit until we get a question here. Um, there appears to be kind of a two-horse race in podcasting right now. Uh, it's Apple and Spotify. 
and was just wanting to get, you know, there's been a lot of controversy in the medium about, you know, app, Spotify's catching up to Apple and they're now bigger than Apple on a global scale than, than Apple has been. Do, do you guys, I mean, do you, do you guys think that's a good thing that Apple is kind of getting kind of some competition here? What's your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I think Go it ahead. goes to, you know, um, like the reason the FCC looks at monopolies and doesn't like it, like it creates additional accountability from that side. Um, so it's going to help the evolution of the channel to do it. And in the end, we want what's what's best, which is for everyone, the advertisers, the content providers, et cetera. So competition is a good thing and it doesn't breed complacency either from that perspective. And that's not saying by any means, Apple's not that, like that that way at all. But I mean, certainly there's a lot of big companies getting into podcasting. You got Samsung, Amazon, yeah. you just run through the, the list. Everybody wants to get involved in this medium. And we hear from, I'm sure Todd's hearing this too, we hear from even more companies and organizations, new listening apps, new consumption platforms that are that are bubbling up. I mean, Todd, what's your thought on this too? Well, what we're definitely seeing is that We've got all the most mainstream stuff now, but no, it's going into sub-content uh, sub apps. So you'll have an app that maybe has a tech focus, so they're starting to add tech shows, or maybe it's a, a business app, and they're starting to add business shows. So we're going to start to see second and third tier proliferation of podcasts into those, those platforms. But it goes back to a topic we've been talking a lot about, Rob, Is and, and it's really not on our agenda today, but... As podcasters, our content is being, we always want to be, I've always said I don't care whether they listen as long as they listen, but I'm almost eating my words a little bit on that because these apps are getting a lot of valuable content from us, a lot of valuable content, and they're monetizing around that. Unlike the music industry, by law, they have to pay musicians at least some pennies for every play. Um, we're, we're getting nothing. So the ability to monetize with our content has become more important because I don't think we're ever going to get any dollars back from any of these platforms. So I think it's good that the growing audience and growing audience means we can approach getting advertising quicker too. So it's a double-edged sword. I don't, I just kind of, it's my train of thought that came to me. I agree with that. And look, first of all, I love competition, love competition. But I do, I do want to say one thing. I wish that major platforms like Spotify and Apple invest more also on the indie side because that to me is more long-term than instead of wasting so much money on celebrities that they're not going to last that long creating content for them. That to me is short-term. And uh, we were the ones, look, the indies were the ones that created podcasts. The indies are still here. You know, um, I want to see that more of just the companies investing more on the smaller shows, you know. Help us get the spotlight, you know? Um, I don't know. I just wish the industry will go forward to that, man. I, I don't know. It's, it's too much mainstream right now going on. You know? Which is not, I'm not saying it's not a bad thing, but you, you get what I'm saying, right, Todd? You know, the, the space is made up of, like, frankly, about 97% independent yes. podcasters. So we are the space. Not, not, we're part of the space. We are the space. And... Those other three percent are kind of like they're making most of the money, though. That's the funny thing, right? Yeah. So, yeah. Um, we're the ninety-seven percenters. I mean, it is—it's yeah. a farm system. I mean, to use a baseball analogy, like you can't get to those levels, and you have to start somewhere. And if you miss serving and super serving, not just from advertising perspective, but supporting those, like you're going to have nothing. 
Like you could have that. And that's why there's just, it's an obsolete number every single week. There's probably 10 shows created while we were up here sitting on stage. So that part is exciting. And if you think about it, traditional media channels, the only one of the limitations they have was simply that, hey, like. There's a hand oh, up, Rob. Oh, question. Oh, she, he's got a mic. So he's run, oh. going over. To, Don is the good, man. Good. <laughs> thank you, thank you. I didn't mean to cut you off. Oh, no, I'm good. sorry. Um, I had a, a, a question, um, especially because I'm me and my co-host. We're indie. We're uh, the Who That podcast, and we have an audio drama that feeds into the fact that we have a podcast. So, like, we're aliens. We come from outer space on the mothership. We abduct interesting people every week, and we just interview them. So. We can literally be talking about financial literacy one week and then talking to a fire dancer the next week and talking to a congressman and somebody that got rich on OnlyFans. You know what I mean? So we don't have a niche theme or topic uh, that we're going to speak on every week. But our, our theme that sort of keeps people coming is the audio drama. Like we got attacked by Space Force. You know what I mean? That type of thing. So that keeps people. But how do we get advertising when we don't have that clear, this is a tech podcast, you're going to hear tech every week, or this is business, you're going to hear that, or this is food. We just had a chef on, but then we, we have a model that's going to come next week. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So it's so hard to figure out how to pitch yourself or how to position yourself to get advertisers because ours is changing. And, and, mm -hmm. and it's an audio drama also on top of it. Like it's, it's, it's been real difficult to try to figure that out. So. I have a video game podcast, right? The majority of sponsors that have been advertising on a show, zero gaming companies. It's products that they see the potential of a gamer trying it out, right? So like, Way Hunter Flowers sponsored us. You know, gamers, they have moms, girlfriends, wife. So we flip it in a way like, hey, here's a code. Give it to, to your loved one. Something like that, right? We do have, we, we've done business with gaming companies for like other stuff, but not for advertising on a show. It's more of like, um, for like events and stuff like that. So you could still pitch it in a way that your community is super engaged with you. That to them is more important than just what type of content it is. I, if the I, product makes sense for you, you should, do, you should go for it. If it doesn't make sense for you, then don't do it. At all. You better talk to him afterwards because he's <laughs> yeah. chomping a bit to get your show name. Yeah. Yeah, it's definitely more about who your audience is, not the topics. Right. So I mean, what's the what's the profile of your typical listener? If you can get an idea of who that is and and that'll take you a little bit down the path. I don't know, Bart, do you, do you have any other suggestions? Yeah, I mean I think one of the things that we've noticed, which is still going to probably be an ongoing struggle, is the misclassification of a genre of a show. I can't tell you how many times I've seen a show and they're like, oh, it's society and culture. And I'm like, that's not how we would hear it <laughs> from that. So again, that goes to what you were just saying, Rob, like the profile, the understanding of the show. If you can get like any data on your customer, your listeners, like who they are, what they like, like do they have household, they have families, they have things of nature. And then that helps the pitch because then you might see a misclassification through Apple, et cetera. And you go, okay, like if someone says it's, you know, business, but then it's like personal growth, like two very different things. And how we look at it within 20 or 30 seconds, when we're looking at information, we're making decisions and we need you guys to give us the ammo to say, pause here 
and go, there's something more than here. Don't look at it just topical. So that's why we're really, really always eager to get any of that feedback back so we can do right by you guys and make sure we're not misassessing what the type of show you guys have. You know, it's ironic, too, because when Rob and I started doing this show, it was called the Saturday Morning Tech Show, and we found ourselves talking so much about podcasting that I don't remember which episode, but we're like, during the show, like, Rob, this is stupid. Why are we calling this thing the Saturday Morning Tech Show? <laughs> and I literally went and registered newmediashow.com while we were doing the show, and we changed the name of the show mid-sentence because we weren't talking about tech. We were talking about the new media space. So, you know, that is, I'm not telling you to go rebrand, but sometimes you just need to rebrand. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, and content evolves over time, too. You guys might naturally gravitate towards certain types of topics that you, as the co-hosts of the show, are experts in or know more about. Right, so you're you're going to naturally gravitate towards certain types of genres, just by your experience base. But it's it's really about knowing who your audience is, and the, a great way to do that is just do a survey of your audience. Do like a survey monkey or something like that, mm -hmm. and send it out. Make it available to your audience. Ask them some really basic questions about who you are, your gender, your age, all that kind of stuff, and get an idea of who they are, and that'll stretch you down the path. But you also need to grow your audience too, right? Bart will also tell you that you need to s reach a certain amount of audience in order to be attractive to an advertiser as well. But that doesn't mean that you have to hit some 100,000 downloads before you can start looking at getting advertisers. You can go to advertisers directly yourself and pitch them to sponsor your show. Danny's going to tell you, though, just doing the show is not enough, right? Great question. <laughs> What's up? I'm just saying. I'm just saying. You would tell them that doing the show though is just not enough. You gotta, you gotta, you gotta do you gotta that do grind and all those look, other things. Look, man. I grew up in New York City, man. I'm, I'm always, I've always been grinding, man. Always been grinding. And you want them to advertise on the show a brand, right? You want them to do that, but you have to show them why they should. Is it, is it, is it worth for them to do that? Is your community is going to be super engaged? Are going to be excited to try out their product? You gotta show them that. You can't just say, we have a thousands and thousands of downloads and that's it. Like I said from the beginning, community engagement is, is the place, is number one thing for me. And that's what helped me to get a lot of opportunities because of my, not only because of me creating the content and I'm having fun with it, but also it's because of the community engagement, you know? So. So we hope we answered your question and it was helpful. <laughs> Yeah. No problem. Um, you have another, there's another question? Yeah, is there someone else? I saw the hand, no? Yeah. Okay. So, so, so I, oh, go, I, go ahead, I was Todd. just going to go back to the two horse race, and I don't think it's a two way horse race. I think that Google continues to do what they're going to do. I think, you know, you go to Amazon now, I search for a certain product, and all of a sudden my show shows up in the search results on Amazon. So, that is exposure that you can't buy. It just happens kind of natively. So I think all these platforms that are out there have something to offer to us in gaining audience. I think we just have to learn how to take advantage of it to the best of our ability. And again, I don't care whether they listen as long as they listen. And that adds to the total audience number, but make sure they know where your whole website is. Bring them back home. So as we think about um, the future of podcasting and where we're going as an industry, you know, I, I oftentimes fall back to content and I, I fall back, you know, and 
Danny's a great representation of this because he's been doing it for a very long time. And, and content is so important to this medium. And as we look to the future, um, upping the game uh, of podcasters to a higher level of reaching quality. Um, quality is a very subjective term, right? Um, quality can be high for one listener and it can be low for another depending on who they are. But as we look at this medium, um, what do you guys think is the kind of the next big thing? Do we think, let me just throw this out there, do we think that fictional storytelling is the next big wave in podcasting? Now granted, that's not an independent podcaster type of scenario, uh, but do we think that the independent side um, like we've seen in the in in the past, will continue to dominate, or are we going to see fictional stuff kind of take over audiences? I don't know Bart. Do you have any thoughts on that, or Danny? Uh, I mean, I don't know, Danny. What do you? <laughs> go, go ahead first. Go ahead, man. No, um, I mean, the honest answer is it's hard to tell. I think the best it part of, hard the tell. best part about podcasts is that before with traditional media channels, you were like confined to certain types of content. And we're like, oh my God, I remember 10 years ago, we're like, we need to target female customers, but we can't do it the same effective way we can with traditional media channels. And then we'd love to do business or tech. If you would have told me 20 years ago, you're going to be investing as much in gaming, like with 1-800-Flowers, who's our client, like I would have been, I would have probably been again, like, there's no way, like have no idea. We don't have enough data points. We don't have access to content that is engaging from that perspective. And now gaming is one of the strongest engagement communities. I mean, it's unbelievable. And there, there's like these common misconceptions, like they don't have money, like false, <laughs> false. <laughs> Big time false. <laughs> I say e-gaming is huge, right? Yeah, e-gaming is really, you, you know what? Uh, I don't know what what's next from podcasting, but I do want to get a, advice to the new podcasters that if you don't have, you don't have to start by buying expensive equipment to create great content. You could just do it with whatever you have at the moment. When I started, I did it with, I recorded my content using a cassette. Then I started using my built-in mic from the computer. But guess what, I was still getting listeners, people listening to the show. And I got better and better, then once I started getting money, I started buying the better equipment. Now the quality is, getting, is sounding better. It took time, but don't just say, I'm going to create a show, I'm going to buy the most expensive equipment thinking that my show is going to become big because if you have the worst content, people are just going to go away and they're going to find another show that they're probably going to like more because of the content is better. You know, so. I always think too, if you're in a specific category, you got to be the authority, you got to own that category, or at least you got to think you own it. Mm -hmm. You got to strive to be that person or that show that people go to for a specific topic or specific genre. If you have that mindset and you focus on the content, focus on the content, focus on the content, uh, the audience is going to come because everybody's going to be talking about you. And the biggest way to build an audience is through word of mouth. You know, Google's your friend and all this other stuff, but that word of mouth power that's, you know, we all are six degrees of separation. It's all that, you know, that networking. One tells another, another tells another. That's, that's how you grow a big audience. And that's what you guys did. You know what I love to do too, Todd? I love when our audience send us questions and we put them on the show. They feel like I'm also part of the show. Because um, that's another way also for engagement. If they send you like emails, uh, voice messages, uh, questions through social media. 
I love doing that a lot, man. But you got to you you developed a way to engage them too, because a lot of podcasters never get a single email. So, what can you tell podcasters? How do you how do you start to get that engagement? Well, you know what I noticed recently. I've been getting a lot of emails and calls of people that say, "I'm a long time listener, first time caller." <laughs> and the reason is this: the majority of people are shy, man. But there's gonna be one moment of a conversation you're having on your show that's gonna trigger them like, you know what? I feel comfortable enough to send them an email, to send them a voicemail. It's gonna take some time. It's gonna definitely gonna take some time. For me, it took a while for people starting, you know, to, to send us questions and everything, to engage with us, you know, but like I said, people are just extremely shy, man. I, I miss Sal from New Jersey. If you're listening, Sal, uh, please send some comments in the show because he was the ultimate hater. He hated me show, hated me, but boy, it drew some serious engagement for the yeah. podcast. So Sal, if you're out there, come on back. Yeah. Well, then this show has gotten this too. We, we've had listeners create like um, intro promos for us and creating all sorts of artwork and stickers and actually I think we had one just happened that created a line of t-shirts about this show so it was it's like, well, I don't know if you I, saw that or not no, Todd right you, you yeah. know what I had one listener that he got a haircut and he put his, our logo as part of his yeah. haircut yeah yep. that's that's a different I would never kind do of, that, but okay. <laughs> I think that's a different advent of uh, the P1 listener, which yeah. we're used to. That's a different Hard, level of commitment. That's right? hardcore. Well, there was there was a lot that that travel from another state to to local just to meet us, you know. So I, I that that's awesome too to see that. I appreciate that so much. Getting that from the community, super cool. So how do we get to two billion? That's the question. How do we get to two billion? Uh, we will get there pretty quickly. Um, I think. The way we're moving with the progression and from the end, just like the technology, I think competition breeds aggressiveness and that competitive spirit to do it. Again, I think with content creation is don't create it on the fly, create like a roadmap. Like, what are you trying to do over time? Like, maybe you have interview guests that come on. You can tease that out as part of the show. It helps attract different types of people to it. Also, from if we know there's certain types of town or a certain type of show that's coming up from like a creative perspective, we may say, you know what? That is phenomenal. We need to put XYZ client in that show. Let's be more, even more specifically targeted and see how we can further support that show. And maybe it's not just a traditional ad read. Maybe it's, it's a custom segment or things of that nature. Or maybe when you get to that size, we're talking about other integrations because again, it's not just this black and white approach. And what we're trying to get to is an omni-channel, omni-channel approach within the right. ecosystem. And that's where we're going to go because right now, like just organically, it's growing massively every year. We can't even keep up with the forecasting from that perspective. So I think the underserved content, there's still so much underserved content out there, like in terms of categories and things of that nature, like faith or this or even business, yeah. like even sports content, if you can actually imagine, like there's only so much good quality content out there. And, and make it easier for, for people to discover you. Uh, the name of the title of the episode helps us a lot, you know, depending on what is the topic that we're talking about, the most important one, that's what I put as a, as a, as the title of the episode. There's people that discover us just going through Google search, putting a word that our podcast will pop up through there, not through Spotify or Apple podcasts, Google, mm -hmm. 
Google search. Yeah. But you, you touched on the description, which is important because yes. if we're unsure about the classification of a show, mm-hmm. which goes to the gentleman's question is, yeah. we'll go in and we'll look at the title of the shows really quickly. Again, mm-hmm. we'll go and listen through the show. But mm-hmm. if we're unsure, we're like, what is the description? So I think mm-hmm. people sometimes underestimate the value of that. And also brands look at that quickly and go, mm-hmm. did you just curse in the title? Or like, do I need to be concerned? Should I be resistant? So that is an important element as well to help discovery, but also help understand what is the content you're trying to get across? Well, as much as I want us to continue for about the next two hours, <laughs> we've got two minutes. So what I want to do here is give each of you the opportunity to tell them how they can contact you, where they can find you, all your social stuff, and then Rob and I will finish up here. Well, for me, uh, I'm on Twitter, Godfrey, or look me up, Danny Pena, and you can find us, Gamer Tag Radio, we're everywhere. Uh, follow us if you're into gaming and you like debates, listen to the show. <laughs> yeah. um, uh, Bart Roselli, you can find me on LinkedIn, bartifaritone1.com, um, available there and happy to help. We're super passionate about supporting you guys and also giving you guidance of what are the right partners like Todd and, and Rob here to kind of do it? And then we can get to a place where you're, where Danny's at now after years of effort. But if you're truly passionate about what you're doing, I promise you the money will come. Yeah, that's great. Well, Todd, it's been great. Yeah, this, Rob, this think it, why don't you give your contact info and then we'll do the normal show close. Yeah, I can be found on Twitter, too, at Rob Greenlee. And uh, if you want to send me an email, you're certainly welcome to do that. Uh, Rob G at uh, Lipson.com, and I'm on all the other social platforms too. But uh, yeah, go go check the show out. We've done, like I said, over 400 episodes and talked about lots of deep topics around podcasting, especially lately. So if you're not subscribed and you have an interest and you like what you heard today, um, there's more of that to be found at NewMediaShow.com. And we always say you can get a PhD in podcasting by listening to the show. It's the only show where two competitors actually do a podcast together. It's very unique in the podcasting space. I don't think you'll find it anywhere else. And of course, I can be found, found at Todd at Blueberry.com. My Twitter address is at Geek News. We want to thank you for participating today in this, in this live session. Again, we'll have this episode available at NewMediaShow.com. Share it with your friends. Make sure you follow or subscribe. Thank you for attending. And thanks for our panel here, too, for contributing. Thank you. Yeah, thank you, thank guys. You. Appreciate it. Give it up, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you guys so much. A lot of great insights. Appreciate you all.